Welcome to episode 19 of the Father and Son Watch Horror Movies podcast. I am your co-host, the father, also known as Pastor Matt, also known as Matt Rawlings. I am joined as always by my trusty co-host. Jackson, the son, and I now know that Bub the Zombie was really listening to this podcast on his headphones, so you know he has good taste. <laughs> Is that what he was doing? I think so. With, with the Walkman? Okay. Yeah, well, Dr. Frankenstein was blasting this through his ears. <laughs> we are a spoiler podcast. We spoil the movies we review. And today we are continuing our run through the late, great George A. Romero's Dead Films. And today that brings us to Day of the Dead from 1985. First came the night, then came the dawn. Now comes the most eagerly awaited day in horror film history. George A. Romero's Day of the Dead. We've been punished by the Creator. He visited a curse. Hello! Is anyone there? For the few remaining, their only hope of survival is to find a cure. You're wasting time trying to define what's happening. But the odds are against them. We're in the minority now. Something like 400,000 to one by my calculations. And so is Captain Rhodes. Anybody else have any questions about the way things are going to run around here from now on? Their one chance is Bub. It's working on instinct. A deep, dark, primordial instinct. But their time is running out. They can be fooled, don't you see? They can be tricked into being good little girls and boys. Same way we were tricked into it on promise of some reward to come. But when the tricks wouldn't work... Their world fell apart. Before we get there, buddy, I know that you and I both, um, we are both uh, listeners to horror movie podcasts in the land of the creeps. And so I want to, first of all, wish our friends Greg Amortis and Miss Pearl congrats because they were just married this weekend. <laughs> the, the, the one of the greatest horror couples in the community. Oh, absolutely. And so. Yeah, I know they've sent you stuff that, uh, you know, Pearl thinks you're great. And so we just <laughs> want to wish them a big congrats and, and hope they have, know that they'll have a great, great future together. We also, um, because we listen to H&P and this is their October, they're going through, they did the 70s and the 80s, their top 10, which I just finished listening to a while back. This is about an hour or so ago. And they're also having campfire tales on there. So um, I thought about calling in my campfire tale. I've done it before, but the problem is... They want it three minutes, and as a pastor and attorney, I can't even clear <laughs> my throat in three minutes. <laughs> yep. So uh, here's my campfire tale. You ready for this? I'm ready. Ready? Okay. Um, when I was 15 years old, and I had just run away from home, and I was crashing on a friend's couch, I uh, have a buddy, still a great buddy, who was dating a girl and the girl had a good looking cousin and say, do you want to go over and meet her? And I was like, absolutely. And so we rode over there, walked in, they were playing with a Ouija board mm -hmm. and they asked me, you know, well, this is Matt. Do you want to talk to Matt? And the Ouija board said, no. <laughs> and they said, why are you afraid of Matt? It said, no, it said, well, who are you afraid of? And it spelled out D A D. Oh, my father's pastor. And so, I tell you that story, tell you this one. When I was about three or four years old, this is one of my earliest memories. Uh, my dad's had a church in this small town I live in since about 1966, 67. And there was a woman at the church um, who had a daughter who swore that the daughter was demon-possessed. My father, your grandfather, being who he is, sent her to a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist said, we can't find anything wrong with her. We don't know what's going on. And so she was becoming violent. Uh, he went over to their house one day, found her slithering on her belly like a snake and flicking Ugh. her tongue. 
And so one day I was there with your uncle Greg, um, your eldest uncle, my my oldest brother, and the couple brought their daughter in to see dad, and she started throwing a fit, cursing loudly. And so my dad walked up to her, put his hands on her head, prayed, and she was fine after that. She never had another problem. Holy and when crap. they cleaned out her room, they found a Ouija board, mm-hmm. which is why to this day, I do not mess with Ouija boards. <laughs> so is Veronica a true story? Uh, they claim it is. The Spanish police filed a report and they claim it is a true story. Yes. Yeah. I'm freaked out now. I mean, yeah, you know. I- who knew Hasbro could produce a thing that could talk to the devil? Yeah, exactly. But it's, yeah, no, I told people, I remember when HMP covered Veronica, they were like, if this was a true story, it'd be scary. I was like, guys, did you not read about it? They claim it is a true story. And so, yeah. And so, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I don't mess with Ouija boards. I saw at the Salem Fright Fest this weekend, they had a giant Ouija board. Ooh. People on, I was like, nope, no thanks. Nope, nope. Not- that's well yeah that's the that's the thing though that the um one of the rules is you have to play it with other people you have to use it with other people because if you don't then it'll possess you or whatever but i guess if you're in a huge crowd of 450 people it probably wouldn't be too scary i don't know i wouldn't i wouldn't participate no thank you um so let's talk about day of the dead from 1985 we've done night of the living dead we've done dawn of the dead Tell me your initial thoughts on Day of the Dead. Where does it rank from you with the, the fir- these first three dead movies? Sure. Well, um, I'm ashamed to admit it. Not really ashamed, but um, some people would call this blasphemy. I used to think this was my favorite of the, of the first three. Um, just because I felt like, like nobody else gave it the credit it should have gotten. And, and obviously it does. It gets that credit now. Um, it used to be the case that everybody thought this was the worst movie of the trilogy and and that it, it was just terrible compared to the first two and that it didn't deliver on what the first two were about. So people trashed it. And that was the way it was for a long right. time until recently, you know, people are looking at it with a more critical eye and they're, you know, looking they're 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 thinking of it more positively. And so I now that everybody this is like a hipster kind of thing, I guess now that everybody l- likes it. My opinion of it is still that like it's it's, oh. it's gone it's gone to it's not it's the least good of the trilogy but it's not bad by any standard it's a great movie and 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 you're in my ranking later in my rating you'll see that um but um there are some problems with it that I'd like to discuss but overall this was a oh, great yeah. movie if this was a standalone movie this would be one of the best zombie movies of all time outside of the Romero Dead franchise but it's part of the original three you got night then dawn then day and you know it doesn't deserve the the trash that was heaped on it back in the day but it is not it's not the best of the three yeah i have to agree with that now this was part of i mean romero uh, according to him anyway at the interviews um he wasn't planning on a on a third movie he got offered a three-film distribution deal um, after Dawn of the Dead, because Dawn of the Dead was a success, uh, especially internationally. And so they said, we'll give you a three-picture deal if one of the movies is a sequel to Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. So he purposely withheld it to be the third, because he, you know, he, he wanted to get the money for the first two. The first one was Knight Riders, which was a flop. And then he had Creepshow, which is a minor hit. And then he had to do day of the dead i really like the premise mm-hmm. my problem with day of the dead is that it is the acting is over the top yeah um i think the tension is manufactured um if you want to talk about great tension in a movie without having to manufacture doing it organically i think john carpenter's the thing does that really well mm-hmm. where they're just you can kind of tell from the beginning that these characters are kind of apathetic about each other. They don't really care. Sure. And I, I, I like that. And I think he could have done that with Day of the Dead. Instead, he's got the cast just letting loose. And they're really doing, because most of them were theater actors, they're doing theater work. And the difference mm-hmm. between theater work and movie work is, of course, if you're doing movie work, you're playing to the camera. If you're doing theater work, you're playing for the back row, which means you kind of have to overact. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's the problem with Day of the Dead that I have. I'm still coming in high. I agree with you. I still love this movie. Don't get ticked at me. Um, I still like this movie, but I agree with you because, for me, because of that, it's the weakest of the first three. What are right. Your yeah, and I think that's... Okay, so we both agree that this is a really good movie. And I think the reason that we're going to sound like we're coming, you know, coming down low on this movie is because... All of the things that this this movie does well, the other two did well. This is a continuation of that, and even an evolution of that in some cases, like with the makeup. But um, I, I feel like we've already talked about all the things that are good about this movie in Night and Dawn, because it does have a lot of thematic unity, I think, with those movies. It very much does feel like a sequel, even though there are no reoccurring characters or locations. It does feel like a continuation of the writing of the of the first two but um there are negatives in this movie that weren't in night or dawn um that we have to talk about because we have to cover new things yeah i don't you know when we talked about night of the living dead there was so much to say with dawn of the dead there was so much to say i don't feel like day of the dead has as much originality to it mm-hmm. into what it has to say um, i will talk about what you know, Romero has claimed that, you know, he saw in it um, what he was trying to get through. But I don't think he delivered his message as clearly in Day of the Dead as in Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. Do you disagree? Really? I don't, I don't, um, I wouldn't disagree completely, but I feel like there are some new themes in this one that are interesting and continuations. I, d- I just feel like the themes are more in your face with this movie than they were with the last two, and I think that's why they can seem a little muddled, because whereas they were subtext and you could read into them as you wanted in the previous ones, now when we have characters like Bub, and the character's pretty much telling us, you know, how to feel, that the humans are the real monsters and the zombies are, you know, uprising. The When... when you're given the theme straight out. They can seem kind of confusing because you didn't come to that conclusion yourself. Am I wrong in saying that? No, I see what you're saying. And I, and I know you have a great love for Bub. I know you've mm-hmm. always had a great love Bub for Bub. Bub is awesome. I used to call you Bub when you were a baby, and that's where it <laughs> came from. So, um, yeah, I know you love Bub, and I love Bub. And there is a great, like, if you don't have the Shout Factory release, the Blu-ray with the documentary The World's End, I would recommend that. Um, but I, you can tell that the script was, and I know they did this with the first two as well, but Romero kind of switched up the script for a number of reasons. The original script that he wrote for day of the dead was closer to land of the dead, which we'll get to Mm -hmm. next week. Um, you know, but he, they kept cutting the budget on him because he, he didn't want it to be rated. Uh, he wanted Savini to, to be cut loose and do whatever he wanted to do. And so you had that, and he wanted that, but when the moment he came around and said, I want this unrated, they came around and said, well, we were going to give you $7 million, now we're going to give you three. Mm-hmm. And so you got the budget cut. Um, but, you know, I've heard Romero interviewed on this, and he's, he kind of hints around that kind of like um, Oliver Stone at the time was really upset with movies like Rambo and and Top Gun and all that kind of stuff. And, and like Stone, he distrusted, you know, uh, the Reagan government and he didn't want the military to be portrayed as, as these superhuman good guys. And so, you know, he kind of goes the opposite direction with the military being the bad guys. Um, first of all, in 1985, after Reagan had won a landslide reelection, I don't think that was the message that was going to strike box office gold at that time and i'm just not sure that message comes across as clearly i I really think that when you watch dawn of the dead you can see as we talked about definitely see the consumerism angle you can definitely see i think the tribalism angle with night of the living dead you can kind of see the the racial tensions at the time and and the kind of tensions of the 60s with day of the dead i'm just not sure the, the message is that clear i just don't I just don't resonate with it. I think I've decoded the message upon rewatch of this movie. Go for I, it. I, I really think the focus of this movie is that that theme that was carried over from Night and Dawn, which is that, you know, that classic people are the monsters, zombies are the new intelligent race, basically. Or um they're the more civilized. They're just a they're just a walking you know, force of nature. You know, they don't they don't quarrel within themselves, they're not selfish. 
They just are. And there's that. You've got there's, that. Yeah, there's that line from Aliens, right, where Sigourney Weaver is, you know, telling, you know, saying, you know, I don't know which one is worse. You don't see the aliens screwing each other over for a profit motive. And you don't see the exactly. zombies doing that either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there, so there's that. And there's also the theme that maybe zombies are more human than we are because we see with Bub, I mean, he's like an infant. The emotions he's experiencing experiencing are pure. They're not influenced by any other outside force. What he's experiencing is like purely his own. And it's almost like when you become a zombie, you're you're a baby and you like the longer you go on, the more used to being a zombie you are, I guess, because that's what we see later with Land of the Dead. Um but like with um the intelligent zombies. But um I'm feeling like Maybe that wasn't explored to its fullest extent, and I feel like there would have been more of that had the budget been, you know, twice. It was originally supposed to be seven million, like you said, cut it down to three right. million. That's over half the budget. Yeah. Um, and I, I would really like to see that Ben Hur zombie movie that Tom Savini talks so much about. This this huge cinematic epic that would just encapsulate everything. And I think the reason this feels like a lesser sequel is because the full a uh, circle of um, resolution couldn't be met because segments of the circle had to uh, be cut out from the story as time went on. So you see characters' roles becoming less and less and their emotions being fleshed out less and less and the themes being fleshed out less and less as you go along. So this final script is basically just a neutered version of the original story. Yeah, but I think we get that in Land of the Dead. From what sure. Romero is saying, I mean, Land of the Dead was the movie he wanted to make here. <coughs> but once he got, excuse me, once he got his budget, he knew what he was working with. I mean, he basically said, I mean, it just, this is the movie that we wanted to shoot. I mean, once he understood what he was doing and the budget he had and so forth, this is the movie that he wanted. And he wanted a commentary kind of on Reagan era, kind of action movies and all that kind of stuff. Um, I can appreciate that now, and I understand why the appreciation has grown. You know, now that a, a generation like myself who didn't grow up with Vietnam and so forth now has grown up with Afghanistan and, and you know, Iraq and so forth and seeing that, no, war is not just sending you know, a guy full of steroids and an AK-47 over to gun everybody down. And he never mm -hmm. gets hit himself, that that's not what war is and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I see that now. I see that commentary now. I don't think that it was going to resonate then just because of the mood of the country. But um, I think we got the movie Romero really knew he could make, especially after he knew that when Knight Riders was a flop, he was not going to get a bunch of money for another movie because Knight Riders was really a flop. And if you've seen it, sure. it's not a bad movie, but it's not, I don't know why he thought guys on motorcycles, you know, jousting with, with each other would be a, you know, this huge hit. I, I, I don't understand <laughs> what George was thinking there. But Dawn of the Dead was successful and he's like, Oh, motorcycles. Interesting. I, I guess. Yeah. And so it just, it didn't quite resonate, but I do see that one of the things he does do in kind of the evolution here is he has a much stronger female lead, right? Mm -hmm. In this. Yeah. Uh, one of my main complaints with Dawn of the Dead and Nine of the Living Dead is the fact that when we kind of, we, we, uh, discussed the female character in Night of the Living Dead and why she had like it, it's not just a, it's not talking about women in general just like all women are useless in horror movies it's just that woman that character is that way but um, with Dawn I feel like all, all over it was just kind of subpar the female characters and that they didn't really serve a purpose other than I, I don't know um, but with this movie the the, the lead protagonist i would say even though we have a bunch of main characters i would say the lead protagonist is um sarah sarah played yeah. by rory cardell cardile or cardell um but um yeah i i feel like she's really well written and that's surprising to me because um we didn't we didn't really see that with dawn or night but this is an outstanding performance from her as well yeah and i love that you know i say if you've like i said on the shot factory um blu-ray there is a documentary and they interview her and so forth and they note that of course her name is sarah the mother of all nations right and she's 
she's kind of the source of hope and, you know, and she is kind of B.A. I mean, she takes on a, you know, she's got an Uzi going after zombies and that kind of stuff. She's not just cowering. She's she's a strong female lead. Yeah, absolutely. So we get into the movie and we'll talk about production and special effects and all kind of stuff. But Terry Alexander, who, you know, plays the helicopter pilot, um, he gives a speech that I think kind of wraps up the franchise along with what Romero has said in interviews, which is, you know, he, he basically says, God figured we were too big for our britches and it was time for, you know, kind of a, a comeuppance. And, you know, that's kind of what George also said in Dawn of the Dead and Night of the Living Dead, which is until human beings learn to actually work together and love each other and, and all that kind of stuff, that this is kind of a biblical plague Mm-hmm. Um, that you get. And so I, I liked, obviously as a pastor, I like that spin. What do you think? Yeah. Um, and that's kind of interesting. Um, talking about, um, that this was originally supposed to be this huge epic. I wonder if, and I've heard that this movie in its original form was described as a biblical, you know, a story of biblical proportions. I'm wondering if maybe there would have been more of that symbolism, um, that plague type thing, because there is a lot of that, like the opening sequence where we see that deserted ghost city. Um, basically it is very much like the stand or something you'd see like that. And I'm wondering if, um, that the conclusion would have seen, you know, how we see them on the beach. I wonder if that would have been more like the prop, like a, like a promised land, tie-in compared to the, the plagues in, in Egypt. I wonder if that's where the story was going. We just didn't get to see that fully fleshed out, so we're left with what we see here. Oh, I, I think you're probably right. I mean, given Romero's Catholic background and so forth, I think that's probably where he was going. And just kind of a, maybe it's time to hit, you know, um, restart. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I think that's where he was going. And so Absolutely. I think that's what he's been building with, with Night of Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead. And then with Day of the Dead is kind of this, maybe we just need to start over mm-hmm. because we, you know, we've screwed it. So, you know, we screwed it so badly. We just need to start it all over again. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a fair. And, and another thing that I want to say about this is, um, I, I, one of my, um, gripes with the, Romero Dead trilogy over our uh, series overall is that it didn't end here. <laughs> I kind of feel like a uh, Day of the Dead would have been uh, the perfect conclusion to the trilogy because we kind of see that starting over, like um, <laughs> like Noah after the flood, um, that kind of thing where they're on the beach. But then we get Land of the Dead and we're right back into the same kind of thing. You know what I mean? I feel like this could right. been the perfect end to the to the series. Um, but uh, I don't think, like you said. Romero wanted to make the movie that he was going to make had he had the full budget. So that was his incentive to do Land of the Dead of the Dead. And I'm glad we got Land of the Dead. More content, you know, from Romero. But um as it stands, I think this this is one of the best horror trilogies, you know, right up there with Evil Dead and um the Frank the original Frankenstein trilogy. Oh wow. Yeah, I I, I agree. I mean there's not you know, we're, we're kind of picking this apart and we're talking about it, but I think we both love it. And so um, I would definitely put it up there. And I, I got to give the cast and crew credit. This was hell to film. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, yeah, the exterior shots they shot in Florida where Romero was living at the time, you know, and they got the city to close down an entire street so they could get the alligator and they could get all that kind of stuff. And that's mm-hmm. great, but... They shot for four weeks in a limestone mine. Mm-hmm. With and it was freezing cold, I hear. Freezing cold, dust everywhere. They're breathing this stuff in. There are bats and bat guano everywhere. Every single person on the cast and crew got sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and, they, and they pushed through it. And you got to give them credit for that. Yeah. Uh, that's something we've talked about before, that the worst productions you know to work on often come out as the best movies we see that with jaws and the evil dead i think that's kind of that's interesting that these characters are supposed to be angry 
and they're actually angry on set because they're all miserable. I wonder if that added to their performance and added to the overall mood of the movie. Oh, I guarantee it did, you know, because they all talked about they when you watch the documentary about the making of they're all like it was terrible. It was horrible. I'd never do it again. And I had the best time of my life. (laughs) Yep. I mean, this this would be the worst movie. And after that, it's all uphill, you know, working on set. I guess you got to have that worst production before you can have your best one. Yeah, I mean, and, and I mean, Lori Cardell still talks, you know, favorably about the filming. Her dad, by the way, was in Night of the Living Dead. He played one of the reporters in really? Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. And so, but she talked about how she has asthma and she's pretty sure she got it from this movie. And she's <laughs> still not, she's still not regretting doing it because it was so much fun. Um, and we'll talk more about the production because there's one other thing I want to bring up because I want to give Joe Pilato a uh, rest in peace, a big, 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 big uh, pat on the back because one of the things he did was incredible. But I, here's what I can say about Day of the Dead. Um, I don't like it as much as Night of the Living Dead or Dawn of the Dead. I still love it, but I think this is Savini's special effects masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And Greg Nicotero. Yeah, Greg Nicotero and Howard Berger. I mean, you mm-hmm. had you had two of the three from K&B, you know, um, on set working on this as Savini's assistants and Greg Nicotero and Howard Berger. I just listened to Howard Berger on the postmortem podcast last week. And he was talking about how Tom Savini's a magician and that mm-hmm. this was just his, you know, and Savini says, this is my masterpiece, you know, and, and what he did that in this movie that we talked about last time, he didn't do, do the gray zombies, the bad makeup. So mm-hmm. you have much better looking zombies, but yeah, Man, I find it. In- effects are amazing. I agree, and I find it interesting that the zombies here kind of look like the Walking Dead zombies that which Greg Nicotero, you know, would go on to work on. I find right. that interesting that th- these were like the best that practical effects could get, so that still carries over to TV shows in this day and age. Oh yeah, I mean Greg Nicotero was ready to go to medical school, you mm-hmm. know, before this, and he just decided, no, I'm having too much fun, and so. You know, they go on to do K&B, of course, does everything from um, Dances with Wolves to the current <laughs> Creep Show. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're absolutely incredible. And poor Joe Pilato, um, who died mm-hmm. a, a few years ago. Um, he, his death scene, mm-hmm. where he is pulled apart by zombies. Have you heard the story behind this? Yeah, I have. That the, I'll let you tell it, though. Oh, man. Um, so Savini goes and he gets, he always says, you know, the best guts you can get are real guts. Mm-hmm. So he gets pig intestines and pig guts and all that kind of stuff. He uses them in scene after scene after scene. If you see like the one scene where the zombie uh, breaks free, one of his arms breaks free from the table and he wakes up and his guts slide onto the floor. Mm-hmm. Those are those pig guts. Uh, you see another character do the same thing. Those are the same pig guts. So they put the pig guts in the refrigerator. They go to Florida to see the ex, uh, shoot the exterior scenes, and somebody unplugs the refrigerator. Oh, no. There's pig guts in there. They come back to the limestone mine, and they can smell the pig guts from outside. Oh, I mean, my they're gosh. so rancid. The entire special effects team, so they get together with Joe Pilato and they tell him, okay, don't drink anything, don't eat anything. This is the last shot of the movie. Um, We can only do it once. You can't throw up. (laughs) They fill his fake body full of this rancid stuff. Savini, Nicotero, Howard Berger, they've all got gas masks on. (laughs) They've all got cologne under their nose, all this other kind of stuff. Poor Joe Pilato has nothing. And he's got to whiff all this in when they pull it apart. And it's, he says he, you know, he was interviewed, I guess it was 2005 or something like that for the documentary. He said, I can still smell it. Yeah, I bet. The other day I, I found something that had mold on it and I just about wanted to throw up. I can't imagine having a dead pig basically being pulled out right in front of your face and oh. having to sit there for take after take. Ah, oh, it's just atrocious. Mm-hmm. I mean, bless his heart. So, um, and, and Joe Pilato, of course, that was his best known role, though. We can also see him. We covered 
um, Quentin Tarantino's movies with Big Bill and and Dr. Shock. And we also want to say we, we hope Dr. Shock's recovering well um, from his surgery. I think his birthday is today. So happy birthday, Dave. Um, and so that, yeah, I can't even imagine that. Now, even though I'm a huge fan of the special effects in this movie, mm-hmm. you're a musician. Right. I'm a hack musician. I played mm-hmm. in I played in one punk band and we played a bunch of Ramon songs <laughs> because three chords was the best I could do. Um, are you a fan of the score in in Day of the Dead? Uh, okay. So the the score has been criticized a lot for how minimalist it is. It isn't as memorable as it is in Dawn. Um, it's I will score in Dawn. I love the score. That theme is it's underused going? it's underused but i think it's perfect because we get it in the most pivotal scene in the movie which coincidentally is the first scene in the movie that that i guess it's a dream scene and um is what you call it, a vision perhaps of sarah in the room with the zombie arms bursting through you know the ar- the wall uh i took it for granted until i watched stranger things season three and do you know what scene I'm talking about? Where they're in the movie theater watching right. Day of the Dead. And, where they sneak in, right. Right. And that scene happens. For some reason, it struck me. It's perfect. The fact that we don't hear... One of the criticisms I had I have with movies in general is when they overuse a certain music cue over and over again, where we, we become desensitized to it. As much as I love Rob Zombie and his movies, I feel like his Halloween... Uh, the first Halloween remake, it used the Michael Myers, you know, the Halloween theme way too much. It used it like every three minutes and would just carry on and on and on. Um, But with this movie, I like the fact that the theme is reserved and it's just this quiet sense building up to like a terrifying conclusion. I like that. And I think it works with this movie because for most of this movie, it's a very you know, reserved kind of setting where you don't see a lot of those huge action set pieces that we got in Dawn until the very end. This is mostly a discussion of people and the inner turmoils they have. So the the score reflects that. It's not big and flashy. It's just subtle. You have little hints in the background, and I like that. That's an interesting point. I hadn't thought about it that way because I, you know, I've lived with this movie for a long time. Um... I first saw it on VHS probably around nine. It's grown on me, but I've never liked the score. Okay. Um, <clears throat> is it just because it's not what you're used to? Just not that big goblin, you know, like rock soundtrack? No, I just don't think it often fits. Sure. I, I just don't think it fits. I mean, <clears throat> there are times when you're going through Dr. Frankenstein's, you know, going through his lab. You're looking at body parts. You're seeing, like, remember the body with just the brain at the head? Mm-hmm. Yep. And I just don't think the score fits. What would you have rather seen? I don't remember what it sounds like in there, but um, I can't. I, I do remember it, it seeming strange to me that there wasn't a, more of a gothic, you know what I mean? Like, I was expecting more of that reveal in movies where they're like, come to the lab, you know? Let, let me show you something that's going to freak you out. And then you get that suspenseful music all built up to like gothic sounding. Yet this movie is very subtle, though. So I, I don't remember what the soundtrack sounded like in that scene, but I'd like to hear what you would like to have seen. I, I would like something bolder. I, I don't think it I disagree. I don't think it's that subtle. There's a lot of gore in this. There's a lot of, like I said, manufactured tension. Um, and so I would like to had a score that was, that emphasized that, Mm -hmm. um, if they were going to do it that way, like I said, I wouldn't have done it that way. I would have done it more of the way John Carpenter did the thing where, you know, they're just almost just, they could care less that the other people are there. They just, Mm -hmm. instead of being bug eyed and, and yelling, I think it would have been better if they were, you know, just kind of ignoring each other and just could care less. And they're mm-hmm. just kind of existing. I, I don't understand. I know George Romero is happy with it. Joe Pilato has admitted that he said he thought his performance was over the top. That he yeah, thought but it was I think a it's, little too, too, too much. I think it's perfect for this movie. I want to talk about that at some point. All right. Well, let's talk about it. Tell me why you think Joe Pilato's performance is, 
is good. For, now, I like Joe Pilato. I've seen him in other mm-hmm. things. I like him. He was an experienced theater actor. But even he said, George, why aren't you railing me in? This is too much. I don't, I think it's over when he would see the dailies and Romero liked it. I don't see it. Um, well, I think you're forgetting that Dawn of the Dead had some of the zaniest performances ever in a movie. I mean, like, this with this movie, I think the reason it feels out of place is because everybody else is so reserved. I don't think I don't think the four leads were over the top in Dawn of the Dead. I think the bike Maybe not. was. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. I'm yeah. thinking of that whole zany, basically that return of the living dead, you know, style of ragtag group of people who are just spouting off lingo and you can't really follow their brand of craziness. Um, but I feel like it's more extreme in this movie, whereas they were having, in Dawn of the Dead, you know, everybody's having fun, cracking off one-liners to each other for a while. Um, and with this movie, everybody's kind of sunk into a depressive state. So when Captain Rhodes is screaming, you know, at the top of his lungs and slamming on the table and pointing guns at people, I think that spices the movie up. I think this movie would be a little bit more boring without him in it. No, I agree with that, but I, I think he still could have delivered a little more subtle performance, and I think he wanted to. Now, I will thank God that um, actually Tom Savini wanted to play Rhodes that and lobbied for it. And George said no. He wanted, mm-hmm. he wanted Joe Pilato. And I do think Joe Pilato is better than Tom Savini. <clears throat> Look, I love Tom Savini as a makeup effects artist, I think he's done some interesting things as a director. I can't stand him as an actor. Really? I like him okay as the as the uh, biker, the lead. I guess he's not the lead, but one of the bikers in Dawn of the Dead. I like that part. Um, I don't I don't know if you remember this part, but uh, it was pointed out. I watched a video review, some video review. I don't remember what it was, but um, they had the clip from the movie where uh, he's spying on the people uh, in the mall from the from afar with binoculars right and he's like they've got trucks and the guy beside him is like yeah trucks i don't know there's something like offbeat about his style of over the top acting tom savini is good in a certain type of movie just not this one no i wouldn't i i i I do prefer joe pilato even though i think pilato was went too far um and and it's interesting if you watch the interviews like a lot of the guys who played the soldiers were not that wasn't their personality type you know mm-hmm. they were theater actors they were they were overdoing it on purpose because that's what romero said he wanted and romero's like oh i think it even works well as a radio drama i'm not so sure about that i'm I, you know god bless george um i, I love his stuff i don't think it, i think it would have worked a lot better with a little more subtle performances Sure. I think maybe we could have seen more subtlety from him, but I, I, he needs to be extreme in some scenes for you to hate him, right? I mean, nobody deserves that that death that he gets, but maybe Captain Rhodes does a little bit. I don't know if he needed to be over the top. I mean, look, when I think over, like, villains, uh, or I think about creepy people, like right now, have you seen Sicario? No. Oh, you have to see Sicario. <laughs> Um, Benicio del Toro in that, I think is, you know, he's so creepy and yet he's so subtle. And I think that, I think that, you know, Rhodes could have been that kind of character. So I, I, mm-hmm. I do think he could have subtly done it. I, 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 am just not a fan of, like I said, when you see the guys literally like huffing and puffing and eyes bulging, that really kind of takes me out of the movie. It, it, it just sure. kind of, I, I just don't, don't appreciate that. Um, but doesn't it make now, you? Doesn't it make you glad that they get killed in real cool ways? Uh, but I think you still could have been subtle and evil, and I would have been glad. Mm-hmm. Okay, I see. But, so, I mean, I, I don't think Rhodes could have delivered his final line convincingly. Choke on him if he hadn't been so, um, you know, over the top before. Well, I think the he movie. Like, no, I think if he, he delivered a one-liner on his death after being a subtle villain, I don't know that it would have been as believable. Like, right, like well, when you watch. Well, Sorry, go ahead. take, take for example. All right. So take, for example, just Anthony Hopkins in silence of the lambs or take mm-hmm. Kevin Spacey in seven. Yep. Okay. I think they could have delivered it that way and been vile and evil. And you still would have rooted for it without it going over the top. Okay. 
Yeah, I can agree with that. And so that's that's my only point. And that's really my only knock against this movie. I like the script. I like the setting. I like the premise. I mm-hmm. love the special effects. It's just some of the acting. Mm-hmm. And not all of it. I mean, like, look, the guy who plays Lori's lover who finally loses it and is like, remember, we're a spoiler podcast, who finally loses it. You know what? These people deserve to die. I'm letting the zombies in. Mm-hmm. I think he's amazing in it. Yep. I think he's fantastic. I think Lori Cardell is very good in it. I, I, I do think that there are a lot of good performances. I think some of the soldiers are just over the top. That's my only point. Yeah. What about the the Jamaican guy with the, the whole bachelor pad down there in the in the uh, <laughs> limestone mine? I didn't. Did you mind that? Uh, not really. I Not as much as I expected I would. I don't really like over the top. um you know, depictions of that kind of thing. Like in the movie Freaked, this is a deep dive, but Freaked starring uh, Alex Winter from Bill and Ted, you've got those Rastafarian eyeball monsters. Um, I think this could have gone really over the top of every single thing he said was, yeah, man, you know what I mean? But he's a pretty funny character. I mean, he he had some relief and makes uh, Sarah feel like she's at home. He didn't bother me. I mean, there are times when that kind of... Uh, where people for some reason go to that. I'm not, on the one hand, I'm not sure why he had that accent. Mm-hmm. I know George Romero wrote it that way. I'm not sure why. I'm the same way with 31, with Rob mm-hmm. Zombie's 31. I have no idea why that guy has a Jamaican accent. Yeah. I guess. Do just, you? Uh, I, I, I think it, mm, no. I think it's just because <laughs> exactly. the actor, I think it's just George Romero wanted something different and actors love to do accents. Uh, but they shouldn't always. I'm thinking of the movie Soap Dish. And it's just, I'd say yeah. no to I'd say no to accents. I'm um, thinking of the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with Leonardo DiCaprio's so, uh, I don't know Southern accent. Yeah, he should never try to do a Southern where, accent. Where should Kevin Costner? Yeah, or Nicholas sometimes Cage. He, get, he goes into like a little bit of a British accent whenever he's trying to imitate the Southern accent. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. So this movie was a flop. It was a box office flop. Does that surprise you? Uh, not really. After Dawn of the Dead was a success overseas and people were expecting more of that when they come in and they get more of a psychological, more of like a, a drama. There are lots of mo- uh, parts in this movie that are just straight drama concerning people. I, I, I'm not surprised that they didn't come back for another showing or tell their friends to go see it. Because you can't really recommend a movie that you know people are going to think is boring within the first 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Like, um, this isn't what people were expecting. And I think it's it's all about that. If, like I said earlier, if this was in a vacuum, this is just its own movie, then I think people would appreciate it a lot more. And they, they've, they've come to that. But this would have been an instant classic. It's just when you compare it with the first two movies and even with uh, some of Romero's other movies – it's just it falls flat in some regards and it's good just in a different way okay i i really think it wouldn't have been a box office flop other than it was released too close to return of the living dead sure and Uh, reanimator and reanimator and horror movies like fright night i mean this was just a huge year for zombie movies and just horror movies in general but you know ironically with the exception of return of the living dead most of those movies were not box office hits they mm-hmm. became hits on on video. Right. Like Fright Night, yeah, I don't that's know. the first time I saw it. I mean, you know, so it was um it's interesting that that happened, but yeah, it was a it was a flop. It didn't get a wide release. Of course, you do have at that time um cinemas uh, falling under the corporate title, so you don't have as many independent cinemas. It's released unrated largely, so it didn't get a wide release like it should have. And and so that hurt it but um you know now it's become a huge success i did see um spoiler alert for our future podcast george romero back when he was interviewed about this movie uh when shout factory did their blu-ray release said that he's glad it's been rediscovered and now it's well loved and now he's waiting for people for to uh discover survival of the dead mm-hmm. you think that's I'd, gonna happen no <laughs> Survival of the Dead for sucks. That. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm you've sorry. seen it. Diary of the Dead and uh, Survival of the Dead suck. Wait a minute. 
Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Dire of the Dead sucks? It's all right. When you compare it to Dawn of the Dead, though. Uh, oh, well, okay, but. Yeah. Dr. Kyle Walking Dead likes Dire of the Dead. I know Wolf Josh hates it, but. It's a found footage movie. It's fine. Okay. It's, we, there's a lot of We flaws. are going to increase your love of found footage. Movies. I like found footage movies, but only when they're spectacular and they have a reason to be found footage. I don't think Diary of the Dead had a reason to be found footage. And so you haven't watched Exist yet. What's that? <laughs> that's what we talked about last week. It's the Bigfoot found footage movie. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. No, I haven't seen it. Um, I think it's on Tubi TV. So you have I'll, I'll invest in seeing that. And I do like some found footage horror movies. Um, I just like, like, like I said, taking of Deborah Logan, I thought was fantastic, but, um, it just, it, it needs to be, uh, it needs to actually be a found footage movie, not just a movie that they were like, oh, let's do this found footage thing. Cause it costs less. All right. I'm telling you, last exorcism is great. Paranormal activity mm-hmm. is great. Blair, Witch is of course, great exists is great. So, but it's great. I think it's good. It's good. It is above average. I would give it above that. I would give it a positive rating. But that this is all right. We'll hold off on that because we'll probably we'll probably given our opinions. I'd say we probably need to uh, put uh, on our last Halloween podcast for this year. We probably need to double up on Survival of the Dead and Diary of the Dead. Don't you think? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so we'll get to that. But this was a flop. It has grown. I'm glad it has. As much as I've crapped on this movie, I do like it. What else do you want to talk about about this movie? Yeah, um, I want to talk about Greg Nicotero. Uh, this dude, obviously, he's a legend in the horror horror community right now. Yeah. Um, one of the things that has really I've been really thinking about recently is our practical effects and why they were phased out. Um, one thing that I I don't really get is there was this weird period between where practical effects were at their absolute best we see movies like Pumpkinhead and and this movie and then there was there was that period where cgi was in its early stages and really didn't look all that great and then you have the best practical effects ever and just because jurassic park used some cgi even though they did have practical effects as well and i think that's right. the best of both worlds but um people were like oh we can do everything and make it cheaper and cgi so let's do that and then you have movies like mortal Kombat, which look you know awful or spawn you have those cgi scenes that look terrible um and it just makes me so angry to see that there are so many talented people out there working with something that you could actually see you can actually touch um that look fantastic and look absolutely real and that we just quickly hopped over onto cgi thinking that practical effects were a sinking ship and um i love cgi when it's used well i mean i'm a i'm an editor i'm a video editor i love editing stuff into into um into videos and and rendering three models and stuff like that but it, it it angers me that we were at the best we could possibly be with these practical effects we look at these uh these scenes like the guy getting his vocal cords ripped out and um all the zombie makeup and all the deaths in this movie it's all so good it looks so real and then we move on to other horror movies in the upcoming years and we start seeing more and more computer effects that just don't look good and i think it's a dying art Practical effects are a dying art. It's advertised whenever we use practical effects. They're like, wow, they're bringing practical effects back. Like, how hipster are they're like, they're so hipster for using practical effects instead of CGI. But that was the precedent. That was that was how movies were made. Um, and Greg Nicotero is one of those people that's keeping it alive. And he blends CGI with practical effects in shows like The Walking Dead. There, um, and I really appreciate that. I think that's when it's at its best, where you can see and touch something, but they touch it up with CGI. Yeah, I I agree with you. I'm practical all the way. And I, yeah, I don't mind to touch up with CGI. I was really confused in the 90s when, you know, Jurassic Park did CGI so well and so many people, so many movies that followed did it so poorly. I didn't understand Mm -hmm. why that happened. Um, But yeah, I I, I agree. And and by the way, go listen to the last postmortem podcast with Howard Berger, you know, of K&B, where he talks about practical effects and 
and working with Savini and and so forth because it, it it is worth listening to. One of my dreams is one of these days if I ever hit the lottery or whatever, I'm sending you to Tom Savini's school <laughs> for practical effects in Pittsburgh, which I think you dig. Um, mm-hmm. So I I agree, and and I'm so glad that you are an aspiring horror filmmaker who wants to use practical effects. Yeah, and and going back real really quickly to why those movies looked really bad with CGI when Jurassic Park looked so great. It's because they actually had something built in real life that they could base the CGI model off of. When you have how something reacts in light and how an actual thing reacts, like its texture and how it feels and how it looks under certain in certain environments, then you can create a CGI model that looks good. When you're building something from scratch and you've never made something, you know, you've never actually made something to base it off of, like they do with so many movies that had awful CGI, um, then you run into trouble. Because the the reason that that T-Rex looks so good is because they had a real T-Rex, like, not a real T-Rex, but a real practical mom, T-Rex yeah, effect. They had a practical, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah that they could look at and shine lights on and see how the light bounced off it and see how rain ran down it and the textures of it. And that's when something really succeeds, when you have a real thing that you can compare it to. Um, so, yeah, that that's fantastic. And I would love to use practical effects um, in movies. I just know that it's a dying art, and it's hard to find people that are experts in it, which is why I think what Tom Savini is doing is great. I mean, I see it advertised in Fango all the time, his school of and George Romero's program for filmmaking. You see that and right. Tom Savini's makeup effects right next to each other. And that's just fantastic. <laughs> but this dying art of film and practical effects are being preserved. Well, even if we have to do crowdfunding, we need to get you there, buddy, because we know that and all of our listeners know, you know, which we're blessed to have seven, 8,000 listeners that, you know what, they, they know you want to make practical effect horror movies one day. So we just may need to crowdfund that and get to make that happen. <laughs> but what else do you want to talk about with Day of the Dead? Sure. I want to talk about um, something that I was thinking about in this most recent viewing when I was doing my notes. Um, I think the writing is really superb. And I know that a lot of people don't like how talky this movie is, but I think that the dialogue is all pretty, it's all really riveting. It's all really captivating. Um, I also think that it does a really good job at some of the moral themes, talking about some of the moral themes, like, are zombies still human? And I think that's an awesome thing to uh, explore. I mean, they do that in shows like The Walking Dead, and I hate to keep coming back to that, but um, that was so much inspired by these Romero Dead movies, and it, it linked, you know, it Nicotero linked to those two properties. But um, are zombies still human? That's, that's the theme that was most prevalent, I think, in this movie. And Bub... And later, um, we see in Land of the Dead, was named Daddy Big Daddy. Um, right, right. We see that uh, zombies are intelligent. Even in Night of the Living Dead, we saw that one zombie that picked up a stone and was brick and was breaking the glass. You know what right. I mean? And or the little girl be... who was using a trowel. Yeah, exactly. They're smart. I mean, not smart, but they they have some intelligence and they can remember things from their past life and use that to their advantage. I mean, even in Dawn, remember um, when Flyboy is turned into a zombie, he knows where they're hiding because he knew where they were hiding when he died. So now that he's a zombie, he knows where they are. Right. And I think that's that's a really good thing to to um, explore. And all of the, all of those things are explored really well. Um, some of them, like you said, are a little bit muddled, but. Um, like I said, this would have been the best ending to the trilogy, I like the, to the franchise, I think. And maybe we could get like a prequel or something later on. But um, I heard James Rolfe from Cinemassacre compare this movie to, or the series to the Universal Frankenstein trilogy, where the third entry, you know, Son of Frankenstein in that uh, series, was so long looked down upon by, by fans and by critics because it wasn't as good. If they didn't think it was as good as the original Frankenstein or brighter Frank of Frankenstein. But now, when we look back on it, it's admired for its merits. You know, it went back to basics, and we have some great imagery and and stuff like that in, in Son of Frankenstein. And I think this is very much the same, where people are giving it a second chance now. Um, and it's fascinating to me that we can trash a movie so much and then come back to it later and appreciate it. I feel like the same thing happened with Rob Zombie's Halloween to a certain extent, where a lot of people just hated that movie 100%. And now we look back on it and we're like, 
okay, the first Rob Zombie Halloween remake was interesting and had a lot of really good things to say, but um, I'm wondering in this, you know, this decade, as it draws to a close, I'm wondering if we will look back on movies that we hate from now um, and 10 years down the line, maybe 20 years, we'll look back and say that had some really interesting things to say and it's not as bad as uh, people say it was. And I, then I thought, hmm, uh, what if these Blumhouse movies that people were trashing, you know, um, like that one movie, and I think you know what I'm talking about, Truth or Dare, <laughs> which uh, I had a lot of fun with. Anyway, uh, that's not what I'm, what I'm trying to be talking about right now. I'm um, going to be ill. <laughs> I'm interested in seeing, you know, letting history take its course and um, seeing what the future has in store for horror. And sometimes history's right. Um, and, and it was with uh, Truth or Dare. But anyway. Um, I haven't seen that yet. I mean, it's a bad movie, but it's fun. Uh, okay. Um, uh, Modern no. classic cinema. <laughs> Modern classic? Uh, no. Are you putting Truth or Dare up there with Get Out? Nope. I'm just saying <laughs> that it's not that bad, guys. Okay. Uh, I love you, but I'm going to uh, disagree. Um, so what is your rating and recommendation for Day of the Dead? Well, I'm coming in high with this one. Maybe not as high as the others. Um, if you'll recall, Night of the Living Dead was a 9 out of 10, and Dawn of the Dead was a perfect 10 out of 10. This is an 8.5 out of 10 for me. Oh. I've seen it a lot. I've seen this movie probably even more than the other two, just because I always feel like I'm missing something. I feel like there's something more to... to um get from this movie that I'm just not paying attention enough to um to to understand but then I watch it over and over again and take really good notes and read what other people are talking about and it just doesn't seem to be there it's um I, I don't know but this is an 8.5 out of 10 I would recommend that you buy it I don't own it um but that's just because I've I don't have any shelf space as is so <laughs> if I were to add this to my collection my i would just be a dvd rental store um, yeah between all your dvds and your funko pop and all and your guitars and everything you're running out of space and you're in your place pretty quick but um mm-hmm. i'm right there with you 8.5 uh, it's an 8.5 out of 10 it's a buy i do own it um I, the shout factory is the one you want to get and I, I do think it is worth it i think it's a great movie i don't think it compares to night of living dead or dawn or dawn way up so absolutely love it all right well um i just want to say before this episode is over that uh when we go into these later uh romero dead movies that the quality for me goes down but i think they're different i look at them as a different series almost can can we agree on that that um land of the dead is and the subsequent movies are kind of a different yeah, I agree with that. I was just listening to HNP this morning, and and they were talking about how they kind of partition off Psycho two, three, and four from Psycho one, mm-hmm. the original. And I think yeah. you can do that. I think you have this original trilogy, then you have Land of the Dead, Diary of the Dead, and Survival of the Dead, and I think you have those three movies, and I think they are kind of separate. I agree. Yeah. So um, when we get to them. I, I just want to say that my my ratings won't drop that much, but I just want you guys to know that I don't feel a strong way about them. Yeah, and it, yeah, I get that. So where can they find you on the social medias, buddy? Sure. On Twitter, I'm at Kane underscore Hero 12. That's K-A-I-N-E underscore Hero 12. On Letterboxd, I'm at Kane Hero. I also have a YouTube channel, which is linked in the description of both of those websites on my profile. Yeah, good deal. You can find me on... Um, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd. You can also now find Father and Son on a Facebook close group, on Twitter, and now on Instagram, which we just launched this week. Also, our website, fatherandsonwatchhorror.com. I'm trying to blog as much as possible during the Halloween season, finishing up my top 100 horror scenes of all time. I have about 90 locked in, and so looking for the last 10. We have a number of great followers on Twitter and so forth. Um, And so we've got a number of folks who want to come on the podcast. And so the Midwest Crypt Keeper, Ian West, um, Ashley, Big Bill would be back, Greg Bench, so forth. So we've got some folks coming up. 
um, once we're a little more flexible with our schedule, especially come Christmas time when you're flexible, we'll have hopefully have Dino and Michelle back on because we love having guests on, don't we, Bub? Yeah, absolutely. They really feel our discussions get a little off um, kilter <laughs> without somebody to draw us back in. <laughs> All right, pal. So be sure to check us out. Be sure to. Um, uh, go to iTunes and subscribe. And though I was shocked this week, um, Megan, our producer and editor, looked it up, and we have we have more listeners through our website than we do have from iTunes, which is weird. But yeah, um, we do mm. for whatever reason. We get most of our listeners through our website, so I don't know why that is, but that's what we get. And then we do get quite a few through iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify as well, but it's mainly through our website. So thank you so much for all of you who've done it. Even the one person who gave us a one star review. <laughs> we uh, appreciate it nonetheless. Nonetheless, it's, you took your time. engagement. Yeah. Yeah, I won't say what's on my mind. Um, so That's all right. We, we, appreciate real fe- we appreciate real feedback. It shows us that somebody's actually listening. We're trying. We're trying, and so we're trying to get better, but anyway. All right, folks, we appreciate you turning in. Next week, we will be back with Land of the Dead, George Romero's return in the aughts. Until then, Jackson, say goodnight to the good people. Good night, and remember, I'm running this monkey farm now, Frankenstein. (laughs) All right, folks, and remember that the family that watches horror movies together stays together. See ya.